Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Friday, folks. TGIF. President Trump meeting with the Australian Prime Minister, talking about all things relating to China. What does it mean for the geopolitical world? Plus, President Trump also set to meet with the Indian Prime Minister Modi in Houston. Did you see what they're calling it? They're calling it Howdy Modi. 50,000 people expected in Houston to hear Trump and Modi speak. We'll bring you a preview of that. An exclusive interview with Morgan Ortegas, the State Department spokesperson, ahead of next week's all-important UNGA, the General Assembly at the United Nations, set to convene next week. All focus on Iran and a busy week for the 2020 Democratic presidential campaign field. Two of my favorites, Al Weavers here, national political reporter at The Hill newspaper, and Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. Doesn't get any more in the beltway than this trio right here. Let's start with Iran, though, uh, because President Trump was at the White House today with the Australian prime minister. And look, we're a couple of days away from the U.N. General Assembly meeting next week. And earlier today, the Trump administration announced additional sanctions on on the Iran Central Bank, blaming them for the attack on Saudi Arabia's oil supply uh, just a few days ago. So, you know, President Trump was asked point blank about whether or not this is the last step in terms of sanctions before there be some type of military response, drone response. I mean, Al, you know this. You yeah. talk to Democrats. A lot of Democrats, Senator Chris Coons, Mark Warner, I interviewed Mark Warner the other day. They're pointing at Iran. It's the tactics on how you go about responding. Yeah. That's where the debate is around right now. But a lot of pressure on this administration as we conclude this week and head into UN week with around Iran. I, I think what's kind of fascinating is, you know, you've had the last couple of weeks, then, you know, you have Bolton's ouster, you know, a lot of chatter about whether the president's going to meet with uh, President Rouhani out at the UN next week. And really, it's all kind of been flipped on its face at this point. Uh, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It does, it may, Rouhani may not even be coming to New York at this point. Um, so we're still waiting on that, see what the word is on that. Zarif is supposed to come out today. Um, no, I mean right now the uh, the the administration's really in a tough spot. They they keep they keep trying to push this maximum effort campaign. They think there's regards to the maximum effort maximum campaign refers campaign. to the sanctions on yes, Iran against Iran, and it's one of those things. We talk about the sanctions. I don't think they're going to stop at this point. Even we talk about a military strike. I don't think that's something Trump necessarily wants to do. Um, I mean, I think he wants to keep up the sanctions. It feels like every week they come out with a new thing that they can sanction. They, they, I remember the other week they came out with two separate things, and the Iranians almost think it's done, and it never is. So I don't see this ending for the administration. 
position. I think they think they're going success. They're, this is successful at this point, but the Saudi Arabian attack really has them on you know on the defensive, and they're trying to figure out where to go from here. Eli, one of the things we've seen in our polling we've done on on Iran is that voters are pretty resistant to these military strikes. They don't really want to engage militarily. They don't want to see yep. troops there. Um, we, we've seen them resistant to a full out war with Iran. Um, I mean, at some point, if you uh, get ground troops there, that's something that I think President Trump will be at a danger with politically. It's an interesting point that you make. I want to play now for you what President Trump said earlier today at the White House with regard. He was asked. He's been asked all week, you know, is military option on the table or are we headed toward a military option with with Iran? And he says he's he's showing restraint. Take a listen to President Trump earlier today at the White House. I think I'm showing great restraint. A lot of people respect it. Some people don't. Some people say, oh, you should go in immediately. And other people are so thrilled at what I'm doing. And I don't do it for anybody. I do it for what's good for the United States, what's good for our allies. So we've had this conversation before, and it it, it really is one that I'm, I'm surprised, as a journalist, has not picked up even more... Um, not reaction is the wrong word, but but more conversation and space in the dialogue about how drone usage, this predates the Trump administration, but even back in the Obama administration, how that has been an, something, a tool that the, that the U.S. uses. And there's a debate about whether or not the president and commander in chief needs congressional approval yeah. when utilizing drones. And, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham earlier this week had urged the president to, to do some type of strike. Uh, Secretary Pompeo called the Saudi actions an act of war. I'm sorry, the Iranian actions against the Saudis an act of war. Uh, Zarif, the foreign minister of Iran, has threatened to 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 go to all out war with the United States. And the president, as of now, is at odds with one of the most hawkish Republicans in the Senate, Senator Lindsey Graham, at least on this issue, Al. Yeah, he's the one. He's the guy who's pulling back on all these things. It's the North Korea playbook to a T. I mean, we saw this for a year when, when the president has all this tough talk against uh, a certain country. You know, back then it was North Korea. Now it's Iran. Uh, and he, every time he always seems to kind of peel the onion back a little bit and try to figure out, um, you know, where we're going to go with this. I don't, I don't see him striking Iran. I really don't see it for multiple reasons. As of now. But Eli, what, what Al just said is so fascinating. He said it's the North Korean playbook. The question is, for voters, do they believe that the North Korean playbook works for U.S. foreign policy? Yeah. I mean, what we've seen is that Republicans love it and everybody else doesn't. I mean, these <laughs> views on this stuff are, are pretty straightforward. Um, you know, what the, the interesting thing about this is um, Donald Trump's been pretty consistent about being anti-foreign uh, engagement and being pro-strong trade tactics. And so the notion that he's going to declare all-out war on another country seems pretty tough. Um, but, I mean, his administration has been flexing. He's getting a lot of pressure from folks like Lindsey Graham. Uh, my question would be how widely that pressure is shared by Republicans on the Hill. All right. I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be – if you're a global politics uh, you know, junkie like I am next week – UN General Assembly, and you know it's going to be absolute must-watch. I'm actually really uh, curious to see how this Modi visit goes. With, uh, but they're calling it Howdy, Howdy Modi. Howdy Modi. Howdy Modi. The Prime Minister of India headed to Houston, Texas. Fifty thousand people. Fifty thousand people with President Trump, and behind the scenes, he, the Prime Minister of India, he's meeting with everyone in the U.S. Energy Department. In Houston, I mean, in Texas. And I think that shows just how serious the United States is about foreign investment with regards to India. And then he's going to go to the, the Modi's headed to the 
to the UN General Assembly meeting to do the same thing with Wall Street. All right, all that, plus uh, a lot of my uh, Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday, Al. Our Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, they better win. They better win. Come on. They need to quit these uh, first first quarter uh, fallbacks. And I can't believe believe I'm saying this, but yes, Washington, D.C., I will be at Monday night's game, the Redskins game, against the Chicago Bears, and I am going to be rooting for the Redskins. Coming up, panel stays. Al. It's like inviting his fans. Al Seems like Weaver, a mistake. Eli Yokely. Hey, we're impartial. Al Weaver, Eli Yokely. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Coming up, we're going to hear from Morgan Ortegas at the State Department. I'm not impartial about my Eagles. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I can say that it was a totally appropriate conversation. It was actually a beautiful conversation. A beautiful conversation. President Trump discussing a phone call, a phone call that he had with the leader of Ukraine, Ukrainian President Zelensky. Now, the Zelensky phone call is the subject of a back and forth on Capitol Hill that has Democrats wondering about a whistleblower complaint. A whistleblower. Have you been following this, folks? A whistleblower complaint that was filed about a phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky. And what was said on this on this call that was filed by a U.S. intelligence official whistleblower after Trump and Zelensky spoke by phone earlier this year. Now Democrats are accusing the White House of stonewalling their request for more information about these concerns that have been raised in the complaint, which the Washington Post reported involved an unnamed official, unnamed official raising questions about the president's dealings with the Ukraine. Obviously, Ukraine has been in the mix but all the way back in 2016, so here we are again, more questions about Ukraine and Ukrainian political implications on U.S. politics. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. My guests are Al Weaver, National Political Reporter at The Hill, Eli Yokely, Political Reporter for The Morning Consult. Al, how much further does this Ukrainian whistleblower story go? I think that's a real open question at this point. I mean, you look back at a lot of whistleblower things over the years. This is kind of, we're kind of in uncharted waters here. You know, this whistleblower talking about discussions the president has with foreign leaders. So I'm really not sure where this goes. I'm not, obviously, uh, Intelligence Chief uh, or Chairman Schiff, he's probably going to push this as far as he can. But the White House has shown over and over again, they're willing to stonewall at any cost, and they're going to keep doing this as long as and they Schiff can. And Schiff is a hearing next Thursday. Thursday. I believe so, yes. With who, Eli? The DNI. The DNI. National so obviously yeah. that's going to be the headlines out of out yeah. of that hearing. That's the next step here. We'll see what they can come up with. I mean, the Trump administration has done a pretty good job of not giving Congress the documents they've been seeking. We'll see if they can succeed with this whistleblower complaint. I, I, I think it's interesting that Trump, uh, what we learned today in the posts about, or in the uh, Wall Street Journal about the details of this com- these conversations about Trump seeking some specifics on uh, Joe Biden and his son and their involvement in Ukraine. I mean, this obsession with Joe Biden is interesting. It says a lot about Donald Trump's perspective on the 2020 race. It's almost like he's seeking a crooked Hillary 2.0 in Joe Biden with some of the things that they're diving so into. Th- here. So let's pause because yeah. this is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
So the, the journal is saying that it was about trying to get political dirt. I mean, haven't we been down this track before? It's like a rerun, but with Biden, you're right. Yeah. I mean, Tillery all over. Uh, well, Trump didn't face any consequences dirt. last time. I mean, Trump right. didn't face any consequences last time. But, but, but he's trying to get dirt on Biden for the dealings with Ukraine and the Biden apparatus, the Biden family, as it relates to Ukraine. And now here we are. And, and you know, I mean, it's it, it, here we are because it's, it's going to go down Thursday, Schiff's hearing. And we all know the back and forth with Republicans and Schiff. So here we go again. And if that wasn't enough Wednesday, Wednesday, guess what? The day before, President Trump meets with Zelensky out. Big wow. two days. Big two days. Ukraine. All right, switching gears. We, we mentioned Biden. I mean, how's he doing? How's he looking, Eli, at the polls? He's staying where he is. I mean, the, the real movement in the last a few weeks has been Elizabeth Warren. We've Since about April, she's just been rising. Um, she had a really good debate. My colleague Joanna Piancenza dived into this, and she, among Democratic primary voters, she just gone up and up in terms of views about her. So the debates. questions about Medicare for all mm -hmm. and taxes on the middle class, and whether or not she was okay to answer those questions. She was on Colbert earlier this week. What is that? How are the polls on that in terms of how, how are, are is that registering with voters that attack that she would raise taxes on the middle class with Medicare for all? Is that resonating? I mean, I think I don't know the voters put those two issues together. I Yet. think that her wealth tax is pretty popular. I think that the ideas of Medicare for all are pretty popular. Amongst the, the entire electorate or amongst the Democrats? Um, generally among the entire electorate, but especially wow. among Democrats. Yeah. yeah, that was early. We did this earlier this year. Um, but the thing about this uh, Medicare for all debate, I mean, one of the number one contentions against it, we did a big dive on the messaging, was this private insurance issue. I think I think the main thing, the, the one thing that's really interesting to look at is how it pulls, depending on how you word it. So mm -hmm. I think that's the fascinating thing, depending on whether you say, oh, well, you know, Medicare for all, if it's going to raise middle class taxes, obviously it doesn't do well in some sectors. But if you don't mention certain things, I think obviously more people are more open to it. So I think it's always fascinating when you look at yeah. it that way. I mean, some of the, the discussions about costs were certainly concerning to voters whenever we dove into this earlier this yeah. year. Um, but people liked their doctors. People like uh, their private liked their private insurance at least earlier this year. I mean, this is one of the things that came up in the last presidential debate, uh, where Joe Biden was talking about you get to keep your insurance and you get to keep your doctors. And I think it was Warren uh, asked him point blank, "Do you?" know anybody who loves their insurance company, exactly. right? Yeah. We did something uh, actually this yeah. week. We just Everyone put it in out. their car on their way home from work working in the insurance and she's like, come on, man. It's okay. Nobody likes the media anymore either. Go fun, ahead. Fun fact. We're all very unpopular yeah. in these days. <laughs> Among people with the highest views of insurance companies, they're more likely than to support Joe Biden than anybody else in the presidential race. Let me race. ask you this. That, wow, that is that is fascinating. All right, let me ask you fun this. Fact. I was talking to some Biden officials earlier earlier in the week and they're, they're adamant that Bernie... Bernie voters are not Warren voters, but Bernie voters are Biden voters. Yep. Is this just spin from Biden's campaign, or I mean, are Bernie we're voters actually Biden voters? That's what we're seeing week to week in our polling. Why? This is this is absolutely fascinating to me because you would think that that that, that they wouldn't, but why? 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 I mean, I think a lot of it is probably uh, we talked a lot about Joe Biden's name ID. I think a lot of that has to do with Bernie's. Um, we've seen Elizabeth Warren grow a little bit, uh, but we'll see if that continues. I mean, 
But, but the Bernie voters, yeah. in terms of... I don't think it's like ideological. I don't think it's ideological wow. at all. Yeah, so I, what is it, personality? I think it's partly personality, but I also think it's partly... Uh, you know, Outside of Bernie, the people he does really well with are the blue-collar folks, or, mm-hmm. the, or the union folks. And those are people that tentatively, that you would think also go to Biden's camp. The Biden's camp. We're, not right. talking, we're, not, we're talking about you know, the, 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 the 20-year-old socialist who's going to, uh, to, to, uh, to Oberlin or somewhere like that. You know, We're talking about the union worker who's 40 or wow. 55 and has a couple of... <laughs> kids and wants to send them to college you know it's, it's a big difference so you know i find this fascinating because i come from anyone who's listened to this program knows i come from a very politically diverse family and so i grew up with people deciding between you know bernie sanders and donald trump and and joe biden i mean that that just it, political party was never really what what anyone was was loyal to it was it was very different and so i think that this we're gonna say in the beltway it's a phenomenon but it really isn't it's actually always been there the undercurrent of our political system has been this back and forth between between these types of politicians i'm fascinated by that i'm anxious to get into a focus group to observe to to talk and and see how these voters who back bernie are deciding uh, b- between who their number two would be, because that really is going to decide, I would argue. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's one to watch. All right, coming up, we're going to hear from Morgan Ortegas, the spokeswoman for the State Department, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. She's going to give us a preview of the U.N. General Assembly meetings next week. And as it relates to Iran, you don't want to miss that, folks. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Another beautiful day. Another beautiful day. Beautiful, as we say in Philadelphia, day here in Washington, D.C., Beautiful Friday, folks. Happy Friday. You made it to the weekend. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Earlier today, I was at the State Department uh, for an interview with Morgan Ortegas. Morgan Ortegas is the spokesperson for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. I interviewed her following the press conference with President Trump and the Australian Prime Minister at the White House. And We talked about Iran, so I want to play for you my interview with Morgan because it comes at such a crucial time as we conclude this week and head into UN General Assembly week next week with the international community really wondering what the United States will do with 
of Iran. So let's roll tape on the Morgan interview. Here it is. Additional sanctions on Iran. Are these the last available sanctions that the U.S. can place on Tehran? Mm -hmm. No, not at all. In fact, I think over the past year of, of the maximum pressure campaign that this administration has executed, uh, we have shown that we will continue to put pressure on the Iranian regime until they come to the negotiating table to negotiate a new and better deal. Uh, listen, there's been uh, a lot of critics uh, of the U.S. administration for the past year for withdrawing from the JCPOA. The problem that we've seen is even while we were in the JCPOA, that deal did not cover Iran's malign activity in the region. Being in the JCPOA, did not stop Iran from doing things like uh, planning uh, assassination plots in, in Europe. They have not stopped Iran from uh, from funding Hezbollah, from funding the Houthis. So what we're seeking here is, is a peaceful resolution to a malign actor in the region, to a revolutionary regime who uh, says openly that they would like to destroy our ally Israel and that they continue to torment Saudi Arabia and the rest of our Gulf Arab allies. And what we're hoping for is to bring the international community together to say no to Iran. Well, you have an opportunity next week with the UN General Assembly to, to bring together that coalition. And yet there, as you mentioned, a lot of skeptics and here domestically in the Democratic Party, but also abroad about the U.S. taking the lead on trying to get Iran to denuclearize. So how do you mm. form that coalition next week? So you've seen a few things happen over the past week. You've seen more members, including the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, who have announced that they're going to be a part of our maritime security initiative. Uh, that's important. We also have Australia, the prime minister who is here right now, who's a part of that very important initiative. So we're bringing the international community around protecting freedom of navigation, freedom of the seas, uh, which you know Iran obviously seeks to exploit. We also have the French who have announced that they're sending a team in uh, to the site in Saudi Arabia, which was hit by these cruise missiles, uh, which will also help us in the investigation process. So we saw a very stark contrast yesterday in the Middle East. I was with the secretary, with Secretary Pompeo in Saudi Arabia and, and in UAE. And while we were doing our investigation, while we were bringing allies together, while we were working on an international response, we saw the Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif threatening all-out war, threatening to fight to the last American soldier. That's not what this administration is working on. Instead, we're working to bring the international community together to tell Iran you cannot take 60% of Saudi's oil supply off the market. We won't stand for this malign behavior. Well, what if the investigation concludes, and there's a, obviously many folks are pointing mm -hmm. to Iran already, and Democrats, Republicans pointing to Iran. The investigation concludes that Iran was in fact behind this. Does it warrant some type of military or drone, uh, or, or drone response from the United States against Iran? I think the president has indicated that all options are on the table and he continues to meet with his national security team to explore these options. Again, what we're looking for is to build an international coalition uh, to respond to Iran's aggressive activity. We know, as the Secretary Mike Pompeo has said, it is physically impossible for the Houthis to have conducted this attack. Uh, your viewers can go to Google Maps and can see for themselves where Yemen stands, where the attacks were in Saudi. We know that the attacks uh, came from the northwest um, and, and, and the Houthis just don't have the capability to do it. They have no evidence because they didn't do it. Does They're the, lying. Does the president need congressional approval in order to, to respond via some type of drone attack? Because that's the question that I hear, even from Democrats who are blaming Iran, that he, they still want to hear from the administration on Capitol Hill if there's a response. Sure, and I think that the administration is working closely with the Congress, and we will continue to do so. Again, while all options are on the table, what you've seen today uh, and what you've seen this week is a diplomatic response 
response led by Secretary Mike Pompeo. You saw Steve Mnuchin of the Treasury issue more sanctions today. You saw us fly to the region. We got on a plane right away to go speak to the leaders of Saudi Arabia who were attacked. And as obviously the secretary said, this was an act of war. So here at the State Department, we are pushing a diplomatic solution. We are pushing a peaceful solution. And you will see at the UN General Assembly next week in New York, uh, Secretary Pompeo continue to push for the international community to come together to continue and, and try to stop uh, and prevent Iran from continuing to terrorize the region. So next week, all eyes on Iran. Will we hear any critical message from the administration about the UN as a whole, as a as a as a as a body as itself? Well, I think you've heard you know various messages of reform coming from the president and coming from Secretary Pompeo. At the State Department, we believe in effective multilateralism. We believe in a good use of American taxpayer money and holding UN institutions accountable who are not performing as expected. And so that is something that we will continue to push. These are hard-paying American taxpayer and we expect the U.N. to be good stewards of that money. That was Morgan Ortegas, the spokesperson for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Coming up, panel reacts, plus more fallout from the 2020 Democratic and now the Republican nominee re-elect campaign for President Trump. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Friday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Headlines last night, Benny Gantz rebuking Benjamin Netanyahu's offer to form a unity coalition. So the saga continues with Israeli politics and Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, uh, after all of the back and forth that has gone on, we'll, bring you, we'll continue to carefully monitor that story. All right. Here with me in studio, Al Weaver, national political reporter at the Hill and Eli Yokley, political reporter for Morning Consult. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. It's time for what's become, truthfully, one of my favorite segments that we do on this show. What's on your radar? What are some stories deeper in the headlines that that we that aren't getting enough attention, or maybe some presidential campaigns that are that are not getting uh, enough attention? or the right kind of attention. What's on your radar? I'm going to start with you, Al Weaver. I think the interesting the week is we're seeing uh, the continued cratering of, of uh, Kamal Harris's campaign. I think yeah. that's kind of interesting. We have about less than five months until uh, Iowa happens, and she's focusing her all of her marbles on Iowa right now, moving staff out there. She's going to be out there about half of every month. And the thing I, I go back to, and I was thinking about this the other night, I can't think remember the last time a campaign said, oh, we're going all in on one state, and it's worked out. I can't think of the last time I can't remember. I remember five and a half months before said I remember, primary or caucus. Dawson, I remember right? in in November. I think when Jeb's campaign was like, okay, we're going all in on on New Hampshire or whatever. You know what but I, I but I can't remember last time this is like a thing that's worked. When I was in New Hampshire the last cycle, remember how we had the exclamation point mm-hmm. after the Jeb thing? Yes, I remember they had cardboard cutouts like a J and E and a B and then an exclamation point. And I was driving up. I'll never forget this to Berlin, New Hampshire. Which is like the which is reminding me of Delco back home, and I'm driving and I mean that as a compliment, and I, I'm driving up there, and the exclamation point when I pulled in just flopped down like, and it was such an anecdote and I I know if you it just it was like, 
And it just the, the exclamation point just fell over. I was Sorry, thinking about a Jeff. Bad story, I, was, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about Christine Jeff. Marotta, our executive producer, got it. Like it was just sad. But Kamala Harris, I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's just it's it's unfortunate times for right now. She's kind of back at square one where she was before the debate, the, that June debate where she really made waves, even a little bit south of there at this point. Um, but there's polls showing that you know Andrew Yang's leading her in various poll as polls. Uh, it just seems like it's a massive uh, massive struggle for her at this point, and it's tough for her to gain traction. I don't, I don't know where she goes from here at this point. I don't know if it turns Stays in, in the I don't know if it turns into uh, into what Beto already has become or if it's something like that. It reminds that. me of the Rubio campaign. It, but I was. About about to say yes, right. it seems like the Democratic version of the Rubio. It really does. I mean, I'm meaning it. Her should she not get the nomination? Look, anything can happen. I'm not right. I don't. I'm not in the predicting business, but yeah. there are parallels. You know, her voice in the Senate will be interesting because she definitely has increased her name recognition, and um, as a result, she's you know going to have a, a more elevated position at least in the Senate Democratic Caucus and within the the halls of the Senate. It will be, it, but you know, look, it's still early. I, I don't like it's writing people early. off, but but it is. But, but she but, has. Right, but right now, when Iowa. you're going out this early and saying I'm going all on all in Iowa, it strikes you as, as all something right. strange. All right, so that's what's on your radar, Eli Oakley. What is on your radar? Well, I want to. I see gotta if stop this... saying it that dramatic. That's the second time <laughs> I've said I, out loud. That's just how you talk, man. That's a. It's not. It is it how I talk. I mean, on, I guess on the radio. On, oh, here we go again with the Kevin's real voice versus radio voice debate. I just, I've, I've got to stop with the. Go ahead. I'm. I, it's Friday. Look, uh, we're watching to see if this uh, Elizabeth Warren rise continues against Bernie Sanders. I mean, they're they're pretty much tied for second place in this presidential race right now, and we know things are early. We've got a debate coming up in like three or four weeks to see if this continues. Um, you know, we saw that after that first debate, Kamala Harris spiked in our polling that we, we do every week. Um, but that's pretty much fallen off. I think the expectations are going to be pretty high for her going into this next one. And the question is whether or not she can sustain this. She had a pretty uh, big crowd there in New York this week. 20,000 people. Um, and had a pretty compelling message. In fact, she went right at Joe Biden with this idea of, uh, of electability. And so, um, you know, so her campaign seems to be taking off with the Democratic base. The question is whether it continues. I'm I'm not surprised at how skilled and a disciplined politician Elizabeth Warren is. We've talked about this on this program repeatedly. I think that there was a tactful decision made to not release the, the she's released all these plans with the exception of one Medicare for all, because it's it's arguably smart politics because she doesn't have the details of it. And so she's not going to be held to that on the specifics. Now she is going to be continued to be asked about how she will pay for it and whatnot. But, you know, I think if you're the Biden campaign, this is, this feels different than, than Kamala Harris. Does it not? Yeah, probably. I mean, she's gotten closer to knocking off Bernie Sanders in the horse race than than, she, than Kamala Harris ever did. I mean, she's got a pretty compelling message. She excites young folks. I mean, I know I've said this before; it's anecdotal, but the young liberals I know are, are obsessed with her. Right? They think she is like the number one who can win this thing. Sorry, um, the way you said. That. And it's not it's the young not like, liberals I know. Right? It's it's like not according just like, to uh, hashtag no according. Like, but like I'll sources tell you that, said young liberals I know. Go ahead. But the data reflects this too, right? Yeah, I mean, not people, are you, saying, I many people are saying yeah. the data reflects this too. I mean, name Clinton a sources. name Sorry, name name a group name a, a young. Uh, young people, uh, black voters, uh, right. women, anybody. Um, since earlier this year, I mean, Elizabeth Warren has really skyrocketed with them. All right, so let's. So twenty twenty is on both of your radars. Let's stay with this just for a, a few minutes longer. Sure. Buttigieg, Booker, Beto, and uh, who am I forgetting? 
the other, I guess Kamala, but we Klobuchar? Castro. Klobuchar. Castro. Castro. Well, I feel like Castro's had a rough and tumble week. But yes. Buttigieg, Booker, and Beto, can one of them emerge as an alternative to Biden? And how? I don't know. I think that's, a, that's the easy way of saying that. I don't know. Friday, I, honestly, Friday I mean, if, I mean, Booker had his chance the other week. He's put in a couple of performances in the debates. He's really tried to provide a contrast with them on criminal justice. And so far, it hasn't gone anywhere. That's my issue with Booker. Otherwise, I would say him. But we've seen it already, and it hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, Buttigieg is kind of running as a, as a Biden redox a little bit, only you know half his age. And Beto, I don't know where, he's, what he, where he goes from here. I don't know yet. That's my thing. I, I, that's my issues with each of those. I think the gun thing is smart. I mean, there was no reason to folks for Beto's campaign until he landed on this gun issue. Yeah, I and it, I mean, it's, it feels genuine, right? His hometown had this attack. He's really made this his number one thing. Um, and, you know, Eric Swalwell was trying to do it. It didn't work out very well for him. But Beto's a much more compelling politician than Eric Swalwell probably was in this race. Um, he'll be interesting to watch if that, if that takes off. Um, the, one, the one person I think who has a big opening here is Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I mean, about four in 10 Democratic voters either don't have opinions about him or haven't heard of him. And so, um, and those who do, he is one of the most uh, well-liked candidates we track every week. Um, That's a pretty big opening for somebody like him if this opens up in a few months. Um, so we're going to be watching him pretty closely, I think. What, I, what I'm also curious to look for in the next couple of weeks is, uh, again, the Q3 is coming up. And Beto last cycle, we just mentioned Beto, for example, he raised, I think there was like $3 million at the end of Q2. I'm curious where, what, what, what the gun issue gets him by the end of the month, by the end of this month. I'm curious to see where, we mentioned Harris, where she goes from here. And I'm, I'm curious to see how, how far Elizabeth Warren's helium watch has gotten her with fundraising. I'm really curious to see uh, that. She's been a tour de force. I mean, it's going to be, I, I'm looking for a huge number. Bad news for point. Bill de Blasio. He dropped out of the 2020 race. Uh, I think it was last night, technically, in that op-ed. on MB- Was it NBC that had the op-ed? Yep. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio ends presidential run after low poll numbers. Bye-bye, Bill de Blasio. He is no longer running for president. All right, what's on my radar? The Chinese farmers. I, did you guys follow this? I, I started on air this morning with Pharaoh, Jonathan Pharaoh, our colleague uh, at Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. He's an awesome, awesome talent and journalist and a good friend. And we were talking about how uh, the farmers, were, China was going to meet with farmers in Montana. So then my mind goes to, I wonder if they would send me to Montana on Monday to, to, stake, out, to stake out the Chinese delegation meeting with farmers. Uh, but they canceled it. And I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed. What were they doing? Well, because it, 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 so the U.S.-China trade relations, the sub-level talks continued this week, Eli, and there'll be more talks next month. But it was really an illustration that some of these tensions were softening between the U.S. as well as China, especially with agriculture. But uh, Mike Dorning, Jordan Fabian, and Mario Parker reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, a Chinese delegation canceled a planned visit to farms in the U.S. heartland, driving down stock indexes as investors turned pessimistic on progress toward resolving the two nations' trade war. So there's part of I get why the market reacted that way, but then there's part of me that maybe they were like, look, you know, we, we could use an extra day at the U.N. General Assembly. But, you know, I mean, trade. Trade's still very much on our radar, Eli. Has that been pulled at all? A little bit. I mean, it's not one of those things that moves the needle very much for voters. And it's it's interesting because for Wall Street, I mean, literally, you're seeing the market reaction move on 
uh, Chinese officials changing their itinerary from going to Montana and not hanging out with the farmers. I'd, I'd have fun with the farmers. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Go Eagles. Yes, go Redskins on Monday. Go Chiefs. Go we'll Chiefs. talk about that on Monday. Big Red. You know, um, hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks for sticking with us. Al Weaver, national political reporter at The Hill. Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. Uh, I'm Kevin Cirilli, the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Grateful, grateful. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. To Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.